Okay, going to need my uh, partners in crime, my, my Job, come on then, my, my Job people, we'll put this on, we'll check this is going to work. Okay, good to go on that? Okay. You can't just really, you know, read the, read the story of Job, um, so you guys all move that way a bit, um, Jeff and I will be over here, so you've got access to that. We, we're going to try and just... Um, make it a little bit more dr- dramatic for you. So, um, breathless messengers, um, a conversation between Satan and God. Uh, it's a great book, Job. Um, so I'll narrate. Um, Jeff is God. I was going to say because he's got the beard for it, but we don't really know whether God has a beard or not, do we? Um, but let, let's give it a go. Okay, are you ready for this? Okay. Um, in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the peoples of the East. His sons used to party in their homes on their birthdays. You can imagine. And they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them, And when the party season had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Where have you come from? Here and there, you know, just roaming throughout the earth. Look at my man Job. There is no one on earth like him. He is completely good. A man who fears God and shuns evil. Yeah, but he's only doing that because you're being nice to him. You protect him and his family. You look after his flocks. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will turn to curse you. Okay then, we'll see. Everything he has is in your power but you mustn't touch Job himself. And then Satan went out in the presence of the Lord. Now, one day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were ploughing, the donkeys were grazing nearby, and some foreigners attacked and made off with them. They've slaughtered the servants, so I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the eldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of your house. It collapsed on them and they are dead and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head and then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall depart. The Lord... The Lord gave, and the, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin 
by charging God with wrongdoing. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? You know, roaming throughout the earth, going to and fro. Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without reason. So what? You didn't let me touch him. A man will give all he has for his own life, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will curse you to your face. Very well, then. He is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. You're talking like a stupid woman. Shall, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. The end. Thank you. So that doesn't mean that if you call your wife a stupid woman, um, you haven't sinned. Okay. Uh, Though it obviously, you know, in the original, Job's saying, you, he's, he's not saying stupid woman, he's saying you, you're talking like somebody who has no understanding. Um, so uh, just, to, just to clear that one up before you all go home um, and start abusing your wives. Should, should you have one? Um, let's, let's get out of the way. So, I, I just, the, there's a few things we can learn, uh, I think, from the book of Job. It's a great book, it's a great story. Um, the problem is you read these first two chapters, and we'll have a little look at uh, some more later on. Um, it, it starts to get a bit repetitive in the middle. And then the, and the end few chapters are great again. So if you do nothing else, read chapters, say, one to four and, and the last four chapters. That's the best way to tackle Job, I think. But we learn a couple of things. One is that there is an enemy to God's purposes in the universe. And his name is, is Satan. And he appears in Job 1, and he appears to to accuse God's, uh, accuse people before God. All suffering ultimately comes from Satan. That doesn't necessarily mean if you're suffering today that Satan is attacking you, but it does mean that in, it, it was Satan who rebelled against God as a fallen angel, and he incited Adam and Eve to, to rebel against God, and then God cursed uh, the world. He, he made the, the world dysfunction. Because of the rebellion of Adam and Eve, and the way of, and as a way, I think of reminding us um, that this is not heaven yet; that there are things to be fixed. If this was um, all glorious and heaven-like, we'd have we'd have no way of knowing that we were wrong with God. Um, but we do know because things are not right and not perfect. So he's a rebellious angel. Uh, we see him pictured in this story. He's powerful, but he's no match for God. I think that's really important. He can't be everywhere at once. So where did his answer to um, God, where have you been? He says, I've been roaming to and fro. 
It's not like God. God, God is everywhere at all times, sustaining all things. And, and Satan is, is, is a powerful angel, but he can't be everywhere. At all times, he can't see everything. At all times, he is not like God. And also, the really important thing, I think, that you see in both these sins is that Satan is limited by God in what he's allowed to do. In, in the first part of the story, um, he's allowed to go and strike the things that belong to Job, but not Job. And then in the second scene, he's allowed to um, strike Job himself, but not take his life. The Lord is very clear um, that he limits um, what Satan can do. And that is true for the life of, of the believer. Satan cannot do anything to you that God does not allow uh, him to do. So there's this story, old story called, by John Bunyan called Pilgrim's Progress. It's very famous, but you may not have come across it as a young person. Um, and it's a story about uh, Christian life pictured like a man on a path. Um, and he's making his way um, to heaven. And at one point, he's, he sees a nice palace in the distance. Um, and he's, he wants to spend the night there. Uh, he's walking up the path and he sees these two lions. Um, and he thinks, oh, that was a nice idea. Um, but, but I'm stuffed. Um, I, I can't find anywhere to rest for, for the night. Um, but there's a watchman outside the palace, and he says, walk straight down the middle of the path, keep in the midst of the path, and no hurt shall come unto you. And then uh, he realizes once he walks through, and you can barely see it on that picture, but the lions are, ta- are chained. So they, there is a space in the middle of the path for him to walk. And it's a picture that, that the work of Satan is limited. Um, he, is, he is chained by God. There is only so much um, that he can do. And I think another thing we need to learn is that from this picture and from what happens to Job, what Satan does to Job is in his circumstances and then in his body, but it is not in his head. I think we quite often think that Satan is saying things in our head. Well, it's probably not Satan because there's only one of him. And he can't be in every place at once. So if you think he's talking to you, he can't be talking to me. Um, and I think he's probably got, you know, more important people than me uh, to be attacking at this point in time. So Satan and his angels, yes, they do evil things. They um, incite people who don't know God um, to do ungodly things. But he's not in your head. At the very worst, he's in your circumstances or causing other people um, to do evil things. People who are not Christians have no protection against him. But for people who are Christians, he's not in your head, but he might be in your circumstances. So any temptation that comes your way um, comes from outside, I think. Um, it comes from what you see people do. And, and, and temptation, then actually, quite often, is stuff that's in us. It's just in our sinful nature. And then we have to resist it and ask God to help us. So in, in that second scene, that was Job chapter 2. Again, we saw God was in control. And Job does the right thing. He continues to praise God. He, he says to his wife, um, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And he said in that first scene, naked I came from my mother's room, naked I shall depart. Everything else I get that's good is a gift of God. The Lord gives and the Lord's taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job is right to continue to praise God because God is still God. Even if God has given you good things, even if God has taken them away, he's still God. And that is actually the right response. I think the one thing that he, he refuses to do, he refuses um, to give in to feeling sorry for himself. 
and this is speaking out of my, primarily out of my own experience, that I think it's impossible to access God's grace if you give in to self-pity. If you feel sorry for yourself, then you kind of think you're, you're owed something and it's really hard to... Um, it's impossible to access God's grace if you give in to self-pity. This, but this doesn't mean you can't ask God what he's doing. So if you want a good psalm to look up, you could look up Psalm 10. It's quite an interesting psalm. And the psalmist starts with this question. He says, why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in, in, in times of trouble? So he starts off by asking God a question. But it's a genuine question. And then he talks about how all, all the wicked people are getting on really, really fine, thank you. Um, and they're causing him a lot of trouble as an upright person. And you know what that's like in the world. And he says in verse 12, Arise, Lord, lift up your hand. Don't forget the helpless. And then in verse 16, the, the tone starts to change. He says, the, the Lord is king forever. The nations will perish from his land. And then in verse 14, he says, But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and, and take it in hand. So... There's a wrong response, which is to get bogged down and, and sidetracked uh, into, into feeling sorry for yourself. There's a, there's a right response, which is to go to the Lord and, and say, Lord, what are you doing? Lord, please do something for me. And actually, I, I think when that approach follows through, you get to a point where uh, you meet with the Lord through the questioning. If your questioning is to the Lord... Um, and, and coming into and bringing it into his presence, then there is the possibility that you can wrestle with that in front of him um, and, and find at least the Lord's consolation, not necessarily an answer, but what the psalmist finds is a recognition um, that the Lord is king, that the Lord's character hasn't changed, even though he's wrestling with things at that point in time. Job 3 and 4. I want to read you a little bit more of Job. This is is out of the message. So, so far, Job has has said, um, life, you know, I've suffered, all all my kids have gone, Uh, I'm scraping myself with a bit of flower pot. Um, But he says, uh, the Lord's given, the Lord's taken away. Um, And then Job has three friends who, who decide to come. Three of Job's friends had all the trouble that had fallen on him. Each travelled from his own country. Eliphaz from Teman, Bildad from Shuha. So he's the smallest man in the Bible. Okay? He's called Bildad the Shuhite. Um, and so far from Namath. Keep up. And, and went together to Job to keep him company and comfort him. He's got three friends. They're going to keep him company and comfort him. That's brilliant, isn't it? And when they first caught sight of him, they couldn't believe what they saw. Hardly recognised him. And they cried out in lament. They ripped their robes. They dumped dirt on their heads as a sign of their grief. That's what you did in those days. Okay, then they sat with him on the ground. And seven days and, and nights they were there without saying a word. And they could see how rotten he felt, how, how deeply he was suffering. So they, they both start out really well. Job starts out, he, he says, um, uh, I'm in really hard times, but I'm not going to tell God he's wrong. And the friends say, we, we see Job um, uh, really, really suffering. Um, and we're just going to sit with him and weep with him uh, and grieve with him. But then um, Job broke his silence. 
And he spoke up and cursed his fate. Obliterate the day I was born. Blank out the night I was conceived. Let it be a black hole in space. May God above forget it ever happened. Erase it from the books. May the day of my birth be buried in deep darkness, shrouded by the fog, swallowed by the night. He's on a bit of one, isn't he? And the night of my conception, the devil take it, rip the date off the calendar, delete it from the almanac. May those who are good at cursing, curse that day. May its morning stars turn to black cinders, waiting for a daylight that never comes, never once seeing the first light of dawn. And why? Because it released me from my mother's womb into a life with so much trouble. Why didn't I die at birth, my first breath out of the womb, my last? Why were there arms to rock me? I could be resting in peace now, asleep forever, feeling no pain. So, having started off well, I think he's starting to feel a bit sorry for himself, don't you? He says, may, may in the day of my birth, I wish it had never happened. Because then I would be, I'd be dead now. Or why didn't I die when I came out? Because I'd be dead now. And if I was dead now, at least I'd be at peace. So they start well, but Job starts on a slippery slope. Um, and then Eliphaz, the Tamanite, speaks up and he says, eh, would you mind if I said something to you? Under the circumstances, it's hard to keep quiet. You see, you've done this yourself uh, plenty of times. You've spoken words that clarify and you've encouraged those who are about to quit. Your words have put stumbling people on their feet and fresh hope and people are about to collapse. In other words, you, you've, you know, you've been a nice, helpful person, but now you're the one in trouble. You're the one hurting. You've been hit hard and you're reeling from the blow. But shouldn't your divide, devout life give you confidence now? Shouldn't your exemplary life give you hope? Sounds so ni- far so nice. He's saying kind of nice things. And then he says, think. Has a truly innocent person ever ended up on the scrap heap? Job, you know, you in the ashes. Has a truly innocent person ever ended up there? Do generally... Do genuinely upright people ever lose out in the end, Job? It's my observation that those who plough evil and sow trouble reap evil and trouble, Job. You're sitting there in the ashes, I think. You must have got it wrong somewhere, matey. And then um, uh, later on, uh, you can, this is about, that's the tone of his friends. Really, later on he says, what a blessing when God corrects you. It's nice, isn't it? Job's having a really hard time, and he says, I think you must have sinned. And then he says, well, why is it lovely when, when God corrects you uh, and, put your, um, and puts you right? So Job's friends, they, they start out right, they weep with him, um, they sit on the ground with him for seven days, and then Job starts to wish he'd never been born. Mm. I think that's the point where <laughs> it's a bit of a slippery slope, isn't it? Starts to wish he'd never been born. And then his friends insist that he's suffering because he's, he's sinned. And Job knows that this is, he knows that this is not the case. That there's no specific sin which has called him into suffering. He, he's, um, he, he's confident of that. But I have to say this, if you are struggling, it's, it is always worth checking. Is, is there a place where, God, there's verse um, it comes up in the Old Testament and the New Testament twice, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's always, it's always worth checking 
Um, Lord, is there something that you are saying to me through this? But for Job, it isn't true. He's having a hard time, uh, and it's not a correction. It's not because he's done anything wrong. But I think what happens as you read through the middle chapters of Job, which we won't, uh, you'll be glad to know, uh, by the end he starts to insist that not only has he not sinned, but I think he pushes it a little bit too far, in, in that he almost gets to this point of saying that he's not a sinner. Or at the very least he says, um, I, I haven't sinned, and actually I want God to turn up now. I want to drag him into court so that I can have this out with him. And at that point, he's made a serious mistake of understanding who is God um, and who is Job. But we'll, we'll get to that next time. So I've just got a little song. little song sounds like I'm going to sing you a ditty, um, but I'm not. Um, I love Stephen Curtis Chapman, as you know. He's got a new release out. Um, so here's a... Um, New song by Stephen Curtis Chapman with, with the lyrics, which I think is the, probably, if you know somebody who's suffering around you, this is, the, this is the right kind of response. There are no words No answers for questions like these And even the right ones Wouldn't change anything Or fix anything Even if we knew the reasons It's still gonna hurt And they say it's just gonna take time But right now there's just too much time no way to find the secret to speed up the changing of seasons Until the blue returns to your sky Till the laughter returns to your eyes I'll be here to cry with you And right here to give you a song To help you Till the blue returns, till the blue returns to your sky. So here are my hands, they're not able to put back the pieces you've lost or push back. The rivers of sadness you cross I'm sorry they're not But here they are Reaching out to help carry you through Till the blue returns to your sky Till the laughter returns to your eyes I'll be here right beside you And I will Believe it right now.
Shall we pray? I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation is subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, like in the pains of childbirth, right up until now. And not just that, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For that's the hope we've been saved. But hope that's seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they've already got? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justifies. Those he justified, he also glorified. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. Father God, we don't know why you bring suffering into our lives, but we know that there is a purpose behind it and that all things happen in your plan and happen for our good. may not be obviously good until we're in heaven with you. Down here it might just seem painful. But thank you one day we'll look back and we can see and say, wow, that was a good way you brought me. In the meantime, all we can do, like Job, is, is bow before you and say, you are the sovereign Lord. It's your right to bring into, us, into our lives good things. It's your right to bring into our lives hard things. We accept them from you. We accept your right to bring them. doesn't mean, Lord, we're not going to question you some days. But we'll question you in faith, knowing that if you don't give us an answer today, you have good reason. So today, Lord, please help those who are suffering, in whatever way it might be amongst us here tonight. And help us be helps to one another, people who are prepared to sit in the ashes with dirt on our heads next to whoever it is that is suffering. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.